Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today, we have a couple of very special guests who are telling the story of how the Crystal Cathedral transitioned to become what we now know today and love as Christ Cathedral. So with me today is uh, Tim Bush, who is a local Orange County philanthropist, is the first word that comes to mind, but a, a very involved man in our community. So welcome, Tim. I'm glad you've been able to make it glad here. Glad to be here, Rick. And then also Robert W. Artigo. And did I say your last name correct, Robert? Well, it's Artigo, but Artigo. Artigo slide. Yeah, I'm not picky. <laughs> that's fine. Artigo works. And he is the author of a new book that's come out, Neither Crystal Nor Gold, which documents how we've transitioned from the Crystal Cathedral to Christ Cathedral for the Roman Catholic Church. So we're going to be talking today about what that book tells. But before we get started, as we start with all of our programs, I'd like to open it with a word of prayer. Tim, would you be so kind as to lead us in a brief word of prayer? I would. Thank you. Thank Father, you. and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the blessings of another great day. We give thanks for the blessings of a conversation today, but also for this miracle that turned the Crystal Cathedral into the Christ Cathedral and all of the processes that happened over the years uh, to make that happen. We ask you to continue to bless each and every one of us. Guide us to do your will, not ours, especially our children and grandchildren. We ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Let me go ahead and back up for just a moment. When I was a kid, and I was a Protestant growing up in Southern California, I remember Robert Schuller in, in the Hour of Power, and when this Crystal Cathedral was first being built, and I'm old enough to remember that. And they were they were taking donations for everything. And you could have a name inscribed on every brick and every pane of glass on this thing. And I had a, a piano teacher who uh, was a, a member of the parish or the member of their, their congregation. And she was talking about how excited they were about building this thing. And Robert Schuler was very enthusiastic about what he believed this would do for Southern California and for his ministry and what he thought would happen with the ministry of Christ here from a, from his perspective, which was a Protestant perspective. So when I became Catholic, I didn't think much about it. But as we were looking at uh, the Diocese of Orange, the diocese needed to build a new cathedral. And lo and behold, a series of events took place around 2008 that led to the acquisition of this property, which we're now broadcasting from. Tim, I understand that you were very involved in in that process. Tell us a little bit about what happened. How did you, we come across this piece of property? What was this miracle? Well, you referred to 2008. That was the beginning of a serious financial crisis, um, the likes of what we hadn't seen in a long time, much different than the one we're in with the pandemic uh, mm -hmm. because it was systemic. In about 2010, the ministry of Crystal Cathedral, which had been passed on to children of Dr. Schuler, uh, was starting to unravel because... 95% of their income came from people watching the television yeah. uh, hour of power. And that was drying up just because people were having financial difficulties. They were cutting back on their charitable donations. So they went from a peak of about $70 million in revenue. And it looked like they were trending toward the end of 2010 into 2011 down to six or $7 million. Oh, wow. So a significant reduction. Like 90%. Yeah, but to put it in perspective, they were raising more money than the Diocese of Orange raises in its week, week or <laughs> annual collection, and they went down to a very small amount of yeah. money. So you couldn't sustain. And so we started looking at it in 2010. The bishop was cool on the idea. Uh, he didn't, cool, cool meaning cold. He, he wasn't... Yeah, he just was... Cool not meaning good. He's yeah, <laughs> this he, is not good. He just thought, uh, wait a minute, we don't want to be buying somebody else's church. Yeah. It's I don't know if this is the architecture I would have selected. But more importantly, I don't want to take a Protestant church away from them That's and make true. it a Catholic church. And so as the events unfolded, 
through the bankruptcy court because they had filed bankruptcy to protect themselves against many creditors. There were some investors that came in that wanted to buy it to convert it to apartments. Yeah, great and, property value out here. Yeah, it's a very nice piece of property, 32 acres, flat, fully huh? fully entitled with all kinds of freeways running yeah. around it. And um, I went back to the bishop and said, you know, we need to come in as a white knight. And he said, what's a white knight? And I says, well, that's when you are a friendly buyer, i.e. we want to buy the property and keep it for religious purposes versus these other guys that want to convert it to a commercial uh, ah, okay. Kind of like good cop, bad cop going on. Yeah, there you bit. go. Okay. Yeah, and then, and he was really open to that at that point once he understood. Now, this it. is Bishop Todd Brown back it then. It is. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and really that culminated in a meeting with Dr. Schuler, uh and his attorneys right here in the Tower of Hope where we're sitting okay. um, up in, on uh, the 12th, 12th floor, floor yeah. Just below. where his offices were. And it was there's a chapel just above it. Chapel, oh, the thirteenth yeah. floor, which he purposely floor. chose as the thirteenth floor, exactly. just to prove a point. <laughs> yes, and uh, we were there and spent a good hour and a half with him, and it was amazing. Uh, Doctor Schuler was very open to this idea of the Roman Catholic uh, diocese purchasing uh, the Crystal Cathedral and making it its cathedral. He had a a deep affinity for the Catholic Church for a long time before he ever got into financial difficulty. And I know that he had a great deal of admiration for Bishop Sheen, for example. And uh, I understand from from the anecdotes I've heard as well that there was a great deal of hope when he heard that the Diocese of Orange might be interested in the property. It was really a revelation for him. He had been going along for 60 years building this campus and... I'm sure many times try to figure out what am I going to do when I pass on to the Lord. And, and I think he observed it that his children, his grandchildren would preach here and would continue on the hour of power. And when because of financial uh, situations with the economy, when that started to struggle, he was enlightened. I mean, he never really had it as part of his possibilities that the Catholic Church would come in and buy the Crystal Cathedral. As a white knight. <laughs> yeah. He, he just never considered it. And he considered a lot. This is a guy sure. that had a very big visionary picture of the world. That was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, I didn't really know him other than by reputation until we, we actually consummated this deal. And he was definitely in the final days of his life, as was his wife. His wife died on uh, one of the days of the tritium. I think it was... Um, Holy Thursday, and uh, he died the following year on Holy Saturday. Oh, wow. You can't make this stuff up. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. So, so let me back up for a moment. So you were in those initial meetings. Yes. L- let's talk for a moment about you, and then, Robert, I want to bring you in as to how you get involved with this. Your background is one of deep commitment to your Catholicism, while at the same time, you have a number of business interests. You're a businessman. Yes. And you've done quite well. I think people would pretty well say that you're wealthy. (laughs) And you've been able to help contribute some of your wealth to the accomplishment of what you see as being Christ's ministry here in in the Diocese of Orange, as well as many other locations. So I know, for example, you have been involved with the building of St. Anne's, which is a a beautiful school down in the Newport Beach area. Laguna Niguel. Laguna Niguel. And then also Hunaparacera High School, over $100 million made available to them to be able to build that campus. It's a beautiful campus, but it's also a very faithful campus. It's a very important contribution to the ministry that has since developed in this diocese. So you've been involved for quite some time. I'm not shocked or surprised that you got involved with this, but how did you end up being kind of what sounds like almost one of the the main leads or a point person for this project? Yeah, there was a a few people that were interested in suggesting that Crystal Cathedral be a target. But there was a very strange meeting. To this day, I don't really understand why it happened, but I was called to the executive committee in the chancery offices up at uh, Mary Wood with a bishop, and the bishop said to the committee, Tim has an idea for the diocese, uh, for the cathedral. I wasn't sure what he was talking about. <laughs> um, 
I I never talked to him about it. But he's uh, been percolating all the times that you've had that conversation, hasn't he? So I figure he must have had something. So I said, okay, my idea. And I gave it to him, and he was a little shocked because um, he did not expect me to bring that up. Yeah. Is I think we ought to go by the Crystal Cathedral. And uh, Monsignor Lawrence Baird, now retired, was in that meeting, and he said, I couldn't agree with you more. Wow. Now, I have to say that most, And he's a really good guy. Good guy. <laughs> Anybody who knows him knows that, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, it was interesting because there was a lot of people in that room that didn't say much of anything, which meant... They weren't in support of it, uh, and uh, silence is and not that a would, sign. Yeah, that would play <laughs> play itself out later in Ooh. this drama, uh, which is really a, a, a drama of there were a lot of people that didn't want this to happen, especially wow. in the uh, uh, presbyterate, uh, because it is novel. I mean, you know, the, the the architecture isn't really Renaissance. No, but. I saw it differently, and I'm a real estate guy. Well, and there's also the issue of the triumphalism that you wanted to avoid, as Bishop was making clear later on. We don't want to look like we're taking something from the Protestants, which is a major, this was a major church. You know, passing churches from Protestants to Catholics, Catholics to Protestants, to Muslims, this has been going on for centuries, right? Yeah, usually by conquering. Exactly. <laughs> this is the friendliest transfer of real estate. That's a well put. <laughs> one religious sect to another. Dr. and Mrs. Schuler yeah. publicly voted for this. Yeah. And that's another story we'll talk about. We'll come about to that later. in a little bit, yeah. But not only that, but wrote an op ed in the Orange County Register praising wow. this uh, purchase yeah. and publicly addressed that to the presbyterate. After the acquisition, I mean, this could not have gone smoother. This man broke down crying uh, in front of me, uh, talking about his possibility of becoming Catholic and the possibility of the fact that it was going to be transferred to the Catholic Church. It, wow. it, this fulfilled his entire life. Wow. It was amazing. Okay, let me hit pause here for a moment. We also have Robert here online, and we're going to take a break here in about a moment, Robert. Robert, how did you get involved in this project? You, you are the author of this book. What got you involved? Well, I, I'd love to say that it was a, um, a stroke of genius on my part that I just in, invented this idea and decided to go out and, and write a book. But I'll leave part of this conversation to Tim because Tim's going to have to explain how I, I got involved. But I will say that I went to Southern California because I'm in the Sacramento area, you know, 400 miles or so north of Orange County, and I uh, had traveled to Christ Cathedral to see Unplanned, the, the movie Unplanned, uh, an early version of it, yeah. and I was excited to do that, and I, I drove over there following my instructions in my Google Maps, and I drive into this parking lot, and I see this crystal spire sticking up, and I think wait, this is the Crystal Cathedral. And I had, I had no idea. I mean, I had really no idea. I mean, I had the directions to Christ Cathedral, and I show up, and, it, and, and I see this thing, and I, and I know right away um, I'm Catholic. I, I didn't spend a ton of time watching Hour of Power on Sundays, yeah. but I knew, you knew what, what that was. I, I knew what it was. Yeah. Let me stop yeah. you here for a moment because it sounds like you and many other people were taken by surprise by a lot of this. When we come back... I want to talk then a little bit about how you got involved in telling this story. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Tim Bush, who was uh, deeply involved in the process for transitioning the Crystal Cathedral to the Catholic Christ Cathedral here in the Diocese of Orange. And the author, Robert W. Artigo, who wrote the book Neither Crystal Nor Gold, which we'll talk a little bit about later on. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Catholic Radio coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, on the campus of Christ Cathedral. And we happen to be talking about how that came to be, that Christ Cathedral uh, is now Catholic and serving the needs of Christ through the Catholic Church here in the Diocese of Orange, but it didn't used to be that way. And there is uh, a story behind this of which uh, Tim Bush has been deeply involved, and we have Tim here with us. And the 
story has been told by Robert Artigo, who wrote the book, Neither Crystal Nor Gold. Uh, and we were talking, Robert, how you got involved with this. You drove into the parking lot not even really knowing that the Crystal Cathedral had transitioned to Christ Cathedral. I take it you were shocked. Well, I had no idea. So at the time, it, it was just kind of a, a big surprise. There were fences up around. They were still working on the uh, campus. They were still repairing buildings and still doing some work. And so you could you could clearly see that there was activity on the campus that was meant, okay, this is under construction. This area is under construction. This, they're improving the property. And I'm, I was still sort of <laughs> taken aback that I drove into the parking lot and didn't realize, I didn't know that Christ Cathedral was the Crystal Cathedral. And so I, I didn't know the history. I didn't know anything about what was going on, other than the fact that Hira was sort of surprised to see the Catholics had come in and uh, moved into the campus. And this is the part where I'd like to throw to Tim, because for me, it was like I went there and I saw the movie Unplanned in a screening in the building. And I, and I forget the, the name of the building, but it's the circular building that has some museum elements to it. And it's a really nice part of the campus, but it's very different than the other parts of the campus. The cultural center is there. The cultural center, yeah. exactly. It's so the round building that if you look at the Star Trek movies that came out, yeah. they use that as their as their headquarters. But anyway. Right. The Starfleet Command was there. Yes. So, uh, so I went to Starfleet Command and watched the movie Unplanned and then left. And I didn't think much about it. But, you know, the theme of this book, we had a team of people that were working on this book together. And as we talked, we were, what is the central character of this book? Who is, who are we writing about here? Because the Schuler is a big part of the first four chapters. I mean, yeah. it's all about him. And it's all about how did this happen? Then there's other parts of the book as it goes on towards the future, and we lose Schuler. He's always there, but he's in the background so much. Clearly, it was very obvious to Tim and to me that the Holy Spirit was a central figure Let me, the, whole, the whole thing. Let's back up for just a moment. We kind of got into what happened, then we kind of stopped. There's a whole story here, and it's worth telling, and I take it that was in the back of your mind. You don't want to lose the history of how this happened. Yeah, that's what it was, Is and Rob is a storyteller. Uh, we didn't want this to be a documentary or a historian book. It was a story of apologetics, of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's really why Rob was selected. I went to Ignatius Press, and they said, well, look, it, we don't publish these type of yeah. books. We're you know strictly into theological books and philosophy books. But we can help you. We have a lot of people that, that do these kinds of things. I understand that Rob had done a, a, some work with Ignatius Press before. Yes, so yeah. they had experience with him. So he was an author that we uh, were referred to, and and it was it was about a story. First of all, as Rob said, we had to start and tell about what is the Crystal Cathedral because we're taking it for granted that people knew. Right. And uh, well, Catholics don't. <laughs> yeah, they just don't. I'm like you. When I was yeah. in high school, um, I'm not even sure it was high school. It might have been middle school. I was reading about this preacher that was on the top of a snack bar. And, oh, yeah. I remember some uh, pictures of that. <laughs> you know, it was like, of course, everybody had drive-in theaters then. Yeah. Uh, today, not too many people are knowing what drive-in theaters are. But uh, we had drive-in theaters. We got the idea that one-story snack bar, you'd be standing on the roof, it'd all be great. And you had the speakers and everything. So I kind of got the picture. It was just weird. You know, yeah. you, you wouldn't think of that as a place. So you had to tell the history. And then you had to tell the story of uh, sort of the yin and the yang, you know, the people that wanted the acquisition yeah. and the people that didn't. And uh, and it wasn't individually. It was just a story of how the Holy Spirit used everybody to get uh, the job done, and it's transformed. And by the way, it's we're in the first phase of its transformation. Yeah. You know, this is uh, what people don't realize is that this isn't the end. This is the beginning. Yeah, Our Lady of Levang was not the, the, the crowding point. That was kind of the initiation of it all. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk for a moment about that whole process and some of the issues that got involved with that. Bishop Brown was also in the process of beginning to transition. He was getting toward a retirement age. And so there was going to be another bishop coming through. Did that weigh heavy on anybody? Or was there this idea that... Um, what if we get the, the ordinary of the diocese has the ability to nix anything that is outstanding once he comes in? So how yeah. did that go? Well, that was a, pull, a push and pull with the Vatican. Bishop Brown 
I can remember the first presentation he made to a Legatus meeting when he came here. He was here for 14 years as the active bishop. Legatus, for those of you who don't know the the group, is a a, a very orthodox group of business leaders and other people who do a great deal with their resources to try to forward and further the cause of Christ. So he had come to one of our one of the first meetings he was in town and talked about the need for a cathedral. And he worked uh, throughout the uh, 9-11-2008 downturn. All the financial debacles had nothing to do with him. And it was a start and stop. He had actually bought land. He had done the improvements. He got the entitlements to build a cathedral down in Santa Ana. Yet it just... It wasn't going forward, and many of us, I had been involved with the L.A. Cathedral early on when I was younger, and I just realized this is going to be a very heavy lift. I mean, we're going to need to have 200 to $300 million, yeah. and I don't see it happening. And uh, so we end up getting the cathedral. It was awarded on the day after his 75th birthday. So now he's still the bishop, but... He's now technically surrendered his resignation. <laughs> I mean, this it is hasn't holy, been accepted yet, though. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor. I said, you yes, know, he does. here he is, works from the day he gets to Orange yeah. until the day yeah. after his 75th birthday. And then he gets the cathedral that he's been trying to get all along, but he didn't know it was well, the one. And there were legal issues on the, on the outside as well. I mean, Chapman University had a very... Um, aggressive bid to try to undercut what you well, undercut is probably too strong a term they had their own bid in that was a very competitive bid yeah they've been competing uh, all along and we had been talking to him regularly jim Doty, the president but what happened is that when you're alienating more than 10 million dollars of assets for a diocese you have to go to the vatican to get approval and unbeknownst to me the Vatican said no for the oh, reasons wow. you alluded to. This is too late in the game uh, for Bishop Brown's episcopacy. We're going to have a new bishop here in another year. We don't want to saddle him with something uh-huh. that he wouldn't have otherwise done. And so we said no. So when I found out about that, Bishop Brown wasn't too worried. I realized that there are people inside the chancery that don't want this to happen. They're going to leak this information that we did not have the legal authority to buy this cathedral, even though we were awarded it. And Chapman will find out, go to court, and they will try to set aside this and say, you know, Judge, I know you awarded it to Catholic yeah. Church, but guess what? There's a letter here, this Vatican saying you can't buy it. Right. There's something called discovery. You can't lie. <laughs> so it's called the Neil Obstat, and, uh, you know, yeah. it's approval for in Latin. But uh, we stormed the gates of uh, the Vatican. And a number of people were involved in interceding for us. This was over Thanksgiving weekend, 2011. You had some heavy and hitters. We had some heavy hitters. We had uh, Cardinal Dolan. Cardinal uh, Law was involved. And he was so in charge of all the bishops at that point, as I recall. He was the president of the conference. <laughs> yeah. Had been over there visiting. Um, and I went to the assessor, uh, and I watched Bishop Wells, who was uh, in the Secretary of State's office, uh-huh. and uh, Cardinal Harvey, who was then the prefect of the papal household, these are all friends of mine that I've developed over the years and said, guys, I, I don't like to call in favors, but I need a big one. And uh, we we just bought the Crystal Cathedral, but we're going to lose it on Monday if I don't get an approval. And uh, it was a miracle. Monday morning at uh, 1 a.m. California time, which would have been 10 a.m. the Vatican time, there was a letter approving the purchase and uh, oh allowing us to go forward. It was Nothing short of a miracle. How can you get anything done in the Vatican in three days? Yeah. <laughs> uh, They've so, got canonization processes still dragging yeah. out 500 years later. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> Dolan calls it the best and most important acquisition of real estate in the American church in 100 years. Yeah. He is uh, was instrumental in making sure they realized how important it was. Yeah. This then was quite a uh, an undertaking, and it sounds like there was a, a great little nip and tuck on whether or not you were really going to get it. And you were saying there was an actual legal time limit that you had. You had a, a hearing that was going to be held that you ended up getting this this letter in just in time to make that surprising Chapman. Yeah, well, it would if Chapman found out about it and they didn't know at the time, um, they would have appealed at the hearing. Actually, it happened 
after the hearing, but before anybody was aware of it, including myself, by the way. And we had a couple of other aces, too. Cardinal Levada was best friends with Cardinal Brown, and he was <laughs> then the our, our Bishop Brown. He was then the head of the congregation with the Doctrine of the Faith, yeah. and selected by Benedict the Sixteenth. He had come out of San Francisco, as I recall. Yeah, but he had been in the congregation with Doctrine of Faith. He yes. kind of trained Cardinal Ratzinger, who then became Benedict the Sixteenth. So yeah, we kind of know him. <laughs> yeah, he had a, he had some control. But really, going back to this back and forth, on Wednesday night before the hearing, the bishop was headed back from the United States Conference of Bishops, and I had told him that day we were not going to get the cathedral. Um, the, uh, that Chapman was the highest bidder. Uh, we couldn't go any higher, and uh, he wasn't comfortable with going any higher, and uh, we were just not going to get it. And the next morning I called him up and I said, Bishop, uh, we're going to court. And he says, why? We didn't get the cathedral. I says, we got it. He says, Wait a minute. You told me last night we didn't have it. And today we did have it. What are you doing? It's your birthday present. <laughs> and uh, it was it was strange. I, I mean, I got this call from one of the board members saying that there was a vote. The vote was 5-4. The Schulers, who had not been on the board for years. Yeah, this was after some intrigue there, too. <laughs> yeah. They got back on the board two weeks prior to the wow. vote. And they voted both in favor of it. So 5-4 was yeah, the... Yeah, 5-4, the infamous 5-4 vote. And um, again, Holy Spirit. Why were they back on the board? Why were they voting members? They'd been kind of disengaged. Why now? And uh, there's so much history to that. When we come back, I want to talk not only a little bit more about some of the history behind how this all came to be, but also where it goes from here. You were mentioning quite intriguingly that you ain't seen nothing yet, essentially. This is growing from here. You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is um, Robert Artigo, who is the author of Neither Crystal Nor Gold. The book documents the transition, really, of the Crystal Cathedral to Christ Cathedral, and a lot of that was spearheaded by Tim Bush, who is also with us today. When we come back, I want to talk more about where this beautiful acquisition where God plans to go with it. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope on the campus of beautiful Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Tim Bush, who is an entrepreneur in the Orange County area, but also a philanthropist and deeply involved in Catholic faith and Catholic faith works and has been deeply involved in the transitional process for Christ Cathedral coming from Crystal Cathedral, from its old identity to its new. And then the author, Robert Artigo, who has written the story of it. And it's, as was said before, it doesn't read as a documentary. It reads as a compelling story. And it leaves you understanding that there is purpose behind what we do, sometimes without us even knowing it. And I want to go to you, Robert, for just a moment. We were talking about an interesting image that is woven through the book about a tapestry. Tell us a little bit about how that frames how you understand this, this process behind what God was doing here. Well, during my research, I watched a lot of video of uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen from his television show, which was mid-century, mid-20th century. And, and I happened to catch a story that he was telling about the tapestry being woven from the back. And it became a, a theme that made, it, it immediately resonated with me, because the idea that the master artist knows the image on the other side of the tapestry, and we only see the stitches that we are involved in. And we don't know where it's going. And I, I think the same thing happens with Dr. Schuller. So it, the first four chapters of the book deal with his history. How did we get to the point where it was uh, this great big ministry that, that dissolved into bankruptcy? But you see a man operating on the concept of, I'm going to do this because this is what God called me to do. But he didn't know where the path would actually lead. At any given point, he didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And the people in the diocese didn't know what the outcome would be going through the bankruptcy and putting in bids. And then nobody really knew how it was going to turn out when everybody was do involved in the reconstruction and the rebuilding of the campus 
And there were so many different stories of the faithful going in and putting in their little stitches a little piece at a time. Yeah. But here's the remarkable thing to me. Long after I had come up with this concept, that I, and long after I had heard this and learned this from Fulton Sheen, I realized that one of the major elements of Christ's cathedral is a massive tapestry that hangs from the ceiling. It's 30-something feet long. I mean, it's huge. It's the biggest tapestry I've ever heard of. And, and yet, here it is, this image. And it, when you get the book, you can see inside the book cover, there's a picture of that tapestry in there because it is so perfect and so vital for telling the story that these things go, okay, well, here's the, uh, and I feel like God impresses upon me, on my soul, on my spirit, on my, on, on my mind, here's an idea to explore. And I go and I do this, right? I'm thinking, okay, just acting on faith. I'm just going to go do this. And then I walk on the campus and see a tapestry like that. The story will be told the way God wants it because he's the master artist. If I get it out that way, um, and I follow those rules, and I follow that path, I'm going to have those experiences where I see the tapestry, and I see Job, and it's like, this is meant to be, and it's a beautiful thing. This is a theme that I do pick up as we go through the whole book, that God is behind all this. Even if you don't quite see the individual pieces of God in action, when you stand back and look at it, you see the echo there. One of the things that we Catholics hold quite strongly to is the idea that when Christ left, he sent the Holy Spirit not just to kind of give counsel, but to actually animate the body of Christ. We are collectively that body of Christ. So that what we do, we live out. If, we're, if we open ourselves up to the power of Christ, we live that out, as you so beautifully put, like a tapestry, where God is the one that's weaving it, but we still have to actually act on it and do it using the resources that we have, whether it is to write or whether it is to use very long and carefully cultivated connections for the benefit of, of Christ. So going back to you, Tim, we were talking a little bit about this whole movement of the Holy Spirit and how you could see the evidence. Backing up a little bit, you can see the evidence going through all the way back from when Robert Schuller was putting this thing together, that while it worked beautifully for what he was doing, there was also a great deal that could be done here, yet it, it wasn't a perfect fit for some people. I know there were questions about the shape of the of the architecture. It wasn't cruciform, which is normal for most traditional cathedrals. Yet somehow or another, God empowered the overcoming of that. How did that take place, and where do you see it going from here? Because I know you had a great deal of vision for not just the building itself, but the property itself. Yes. Well, first of all, that was a beauty, too. You had Bishop Brown and myself were involved in the original uh, acquisition and governance structure. Then he stepped aside, and, and Bishop Van uh, came in in the fall of, I believe it was 2012. And then he, of course, had his own ideas about renovation, and about a year later kind of took and put his uh, fingerprints on it. And, and so that whole group uh, that came in really uh, influenced how it was renovated. You know, you started out with a guy who I brought in, Rob Neal, who was amazing at kind of just grasping the entire campus and, you know, pushing forward, including he renovated this building we're in, the Tower of Hope. And this was one of the first renovations. Yeah, this had an earthquake issue because it was built in late 60s and it just wasn't built right. So they had to they had to re reinforce it because it was an important building for the county and for this campus. I understand it's now one of the most secure earthquake exactly. buildings in, in the county. I said to, I said to uh, <laughs> Rob, you can tear this building down, build a new building for the price you're paying. Yeah. But, you know, it was important to keep this building. At yes, one it time, was. it was the tallest building in Orange County, believe it or not. Well, there's a lot of symbolism to this building without getting too far afield. This was where they put the first ministry, which was a hotline for, for people who were in crisis. Yeah, crisis. First hotline uh, in, in California. Still operating. Right? And still it's still operating as its own ministry. It has support from the Diocese of Orange, but it's still its own ministry. And that yeah. was part of that relationship, so positive a relationship that developed between the Diocese of Orange and the Schuler Ministries. So the renovation, uh, we took 32 acres, all of what was usable, sold Marywood, took the proceeds to help pay down, moved the chancery where it belongs next to the cathedral, had a school, which we picked up. We moved uh, the school from uh, our parish next door. 
use that parish as an intermediary facility for the Crystal Cathedral Ministries for many, many years, collected revenue off of that piece of real estate. The, the, the parish gave their real estate to the cathedral campus in exchange for us allowing them to have their parish in the cathedral without charging them. So that was ends up being another $18 million gift because it was ultimately sold to a residential developer, and uh, they built homes on it. So those two things contributed to about a third of the total cost, and it, it really put those uh, those uh, functions here on well, campus. Let's, let's stop for a moment. The original estimated cost of what it would cost to build a new cathedral in Santa Ana was upwards of $250 million, something like that? $250 million, yeah. And the f- initial cost of buying this property was 50 50- Fifty-five million, and then with about double that in order to get it to all the upgrades, we're still less than half of what we would yeah. have paid for less. I think they've spent close to eighty million in renovations. So, okay, call it one hundred thirty-five, hundred forty million dollars. We're still about half of what we were. But we're half, but what's really amazing is what we were going to get was one cathedral. Yeah, we had no chance. No chance. No school. No offices. That's this amazing. Is a better location. Oh yeah, and um, it really genuflects to our diverse population, which is less than fifty percent white in Orange County. But we have Asians, Filipinos, uh, Hispanics, and uh, multiple languages. You really couldn't find a better location than this one. I had a priest up here I was interviewing once, and we were looking around through the windows, and we were talking about how great a location this was, where the five and and the twenty two meet, and. The, the 57. And I said, in the distance there, you can see Disneyland. And he said, oh, yes, but more important, from the Tower of Terror over there, you can see Crystal Cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great insight. <laughs> I haven't been in the Tower of Terror, so no, but check it out. <laughs> but if you think about that, yeah, what a great location, because we are right in the middle here, and yet... This campus, there's something about it that, that's not just because it was Robert Schuler's campus. There's a beauty to this campus and an ethos to this campus. Christ is present here. And you can kind of, you can not only kind of, you can feel that presence going on here. You know, to put it in perspective, when you want to compare numbers, what we have here would have cost $500 million. Wow. And would have taken well over 10 years to build. In other words, it would not have happened. Right. Um, it was only through this. I mean, just yeah. the legal channels to get all the permissions to do things. That's that's the thing. Is that, that would have taken seven years itself. Yeah. We didn't have any of that because yeah. we already had a facility that was being used. Now, down the road, what I'm proposing is it, this is up to the, this bishop and his successor to decide what we do with this. They're still trying to digest what yeah. they have. This will take 50 to 100 years, but you could build all kinds of things, you know, from as little as, you know, uh, Rosary uh, and stations of the cross, yeah. walks and, and uh, retired priest residences. There's just so much stuff you can do here. You well, got so much real estate. And as a spiritual center, then, which is really where I th- I think both Bishop Brown and I know Bishop Van sees this. This tower, just as an example, it has the television st- uh, studio, it has the radio studio, and it's being used as a beacon of hope and a way of getting some of the word out by broadcast, like what we're listening to right now, about what the Diocese of Orange is doing and how powerfully God is working through this this diocese in so many ways. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Tim Bush, who is an entrepreneur and a philanthropist from Orange County. He he kind of bristles every time I say philanthropist. I think there's a humility that comes through. But I think anybody would describe him that way. He's been very involved in a number of projects that have greatly benefited the ministry of Jesus Christ here in the Diocese of Orange. And we're talking to Robert Artigo, who wrote Neither Crystal Nor Gold. When we come back... I want to ask a little bit more detail about um, what kind of dreaming we're looking at here and what Tim Bush sees on the future for what he wants to do. There's a lot of ministries that Mr. Bush has been involved with. I want to try to dig a little. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Tim Bush. 
and Robert Artico. And before I go any further, I want to stop for a moment. And for those of you who've been listening for the last 45 minutes, we've had a really revelatory uh, engagement about how this beautiful piece of property that is now being used by Christ through the Diocese of Orange came to be part of the Diocese of Orange and the transition that took place. And a lot of that was spearheaded. Uh, well, it was guided by the Holy Spirit, but the instrument that was used was a lot Tim Bush. There were a number of other people involved. But first of all, let me thank you for doing that, Tim, <laughs> for allowing yourself to be an instrument of God. But thank you for coming in today. I'm very glad that you were able to spend some time. I know you've got a very busy schedule, so thank you very, very much for coming in. And Robert, thank you very much for coming in and sharing with us a little bit about what it's been like to be the author of the book that kind of is recording how this took place. You were mentioning during the break that there have been positive outcomes for everyone in this, including the Schuler Ministries. Briefly, how is that going? Well, you know, the, the book doesn't mince words when it comes to the struggles. That it, it, it was a it was growing pains, it was change, uh, disrupted St. Callistus, which was the parish there that had to close down, and eventually bulldozed a, a really nice church that they had built there at that parish in around the year 2000, if I'm not mistaken. And then, um, and then obviously, Bobby Schuler, who was the grandson of Robert Schuler, he had taken over Crystal Cathedral Ministries. And so there was a big transition between moving St. Callistus to the campus and then moving uh, Bobby Schuler's ministry over to St. Callistus, where they could use the church and the school there for a while. They had to move on. Uh, they knew they had to move on. And, and we interviewed Bobby for the book. And, you know, he says some really great things. He tells some really great stories about how this change happened for him and how difficult it was for the ministry, but that they knew it had to happen. But yet here you have the ministry, you know, earlier in the show, we mentioned the outreach that is the um, the crisis line that's there in the Tower of Hope. That's a carryover from Robert Schuller's ministry right. that still exists. And they're doing more of that at the new church that Bobby has built and the Hour of Power on Sunday mornings is doing great still. You know, it's do, it's, yeah. it's growing because Bobby has this Christian charisma. He's a wonderfully sincere young man, yeah. and, it, and he's been doing a great job. So he, he said, if possible, in the future, the only thing that he would do is build another crystal cathedral, <laughs> <laughs> if he could. So I think that's a neat thing because he doesn't regret the change because he knew it had to happen. Yeah. It was really important to tell the story that it wasn't just champagne corks or something popping. Right. When the uh, diocese got the cathedral campus, there were people that were going to have their lives changed and their churches changed because of this. And it had to be told that way. It had to be told honestly. The and you do that. Come out of it. Yeah. And you do that very well in the book. Where it goes from here, though, is what I'm kind of interested in making sure we cover mm-hmm. before we, we run out of time today. Tim, you were mentioning that there are a number of different things that can happen with this campus. What do you see as, as being your highest hope, your, your greatest hope that this campus will provide? Not encumbering any bishop in doing so, but what would you like to see happen here? I think that's the, the critical aspect you've mentioned in all these sectors is that it's really the Bishop of Orange and his advisors uh, and the governance, the board that runs the cathedral that will decide. And yeah. I think right now they're just like, trying to catch the breath. Uh, they're trying <laughs> to figure out how do we get, get the pledges collected that we yeah. have committed? How do we pay off the debt? Uh, don't talk to me about any more projects on this campus. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm suspecting that's what's going on. Yeah. But I look at this longer. I look at it, and I think you do have to look at it from a 25- to 50-year perspective. Sure. And you really have to sit back and ask, um, what could we do? And one thing uh, my wife and my mother were both Protestants, and they were converts. And um, the Protestant church uh, today is in total disarray. Yeah. The abandonment of our Judeo-Christian principles on the issue of marriage, huh? um, the issues of abortion, now this terrible thing, this Marxist movement that we have masquerading around as racism, but it's really Marxism. And um, many of the anything you hear critical usually means that (laughs) many of the uh, of our Protestant brethren have divided among themselves. You know, you've got conservative Episcopal and so on and so forth. 
I predict in the next 25 years, um, many of these sects are going to just liquidate in, in America. And the Catholic Church, as imperfect as it is, uh, has been around for 2,000 years. And we have to be here to help pick up the pieces. And we can be that beacon of light about the truth because none of this is going to work out well. None of this about whether it's abortion or marriage or transgenderism, this is not going to end well. And it will only take a generation for it to all crater on its own weight. Um, So when it does, the Catholic Church, God willing, is going to continue to be preaching the truth as we know it biblically. And that's where my partner who committed over $20 million gift, the largest gift in the history of the diocese to build this cathedral. He did so because as a Protestant, he saw an opportunity for kind of an ecumenical approach. And he saw the cultural center, which he retained naming rights, Mm -hmm. to be that place. Because that's really what it was built for, an opportunity to have dialogue and conferences and exhibits uh, to bring people together in peace, but in, in civil discourse, uh, which we don't really have much of in our country today, but which is the only way we're going to get together is, you know, house divided is cannot stand. And so I have an interesting view myself personally. I'm finishing up a Ph.D. at uh, UCR in religious studies. Um, believe it or not, I'm doing early church history, but it's an interesting venue to do this. Because I'm seeing the culture wars that you're talking about that are going on. And the inconsistency is palpable. And the people who are part of the leadership of this know it. They won't talk about that, but they know it. And I think that you've got an interesting vision here because this campus has situated itself both from a geographic perspective here in, in this particular part of Orange County but also from a strategic perspective of how it's laid out and the different tools that are available here and what can be built here to be a, a real beacon of a real tool for Christ to be able to use in the regathering of um, what the remnant is that's left behind from the Protestant crash up and the, the development, the growth of Catholic faith as we go through our own struggles, which we do and we have. And we will. But with that focus, and Bishop Van has been very, very good on this. We've got some wonderful bishops in Southern California. We do. We've got Archbishop Gomez, for example, going up to San Francisco. Um, um, Carleone. Carleone is absolutely wonderful. We've got some fantastic bishops who are giving some great leadership. And I really think we're beginning to see a desire by some bishops to be a, a little more forward in how they present and empower other people to present Christ. This campus, I think, is situated in a great well, spot to do something. You know, we've seen that with Archbishop Gomez, who's the president of the conference, mm-hmm. and, and how he's had to deal with the current president, uh, uh, who is a, a practicing Catholic, but mm-hmm. not always in line with the magisterium. And we've seen it. I'm really happy and, and respectful of Archbishop Corleone and Archbishop Aquila, who in the yeah. wake of Archbishop Chapu, who has now retired, have really stepped up the conversation and dialogue. Okay. But this is what I'm talking about. See, people yearn for truth. It doesn't matter whether you're Protestants or Catholic or, or what Eastern Orthodox. We yearn for truth, and we know truth is on the, our heart, and we know what is a lie. Yet we might uh, just go along to get along, but you know what? We can't. We have to stand up for it. Just like we today criticize the days of slavery, yet we erect statues to people who are abortionists. We're tearing down <laughs> statues of people who were slave yeah, owners yeah. and erecting statues of people who are abortionists. Yeah. So I hope they're not built too strong because they're going to be coming they're down. down too. They're going to come down. <laughs> this is not a good thing. And uh, I, I think about uh, the relationships. I've, I've met Steve Green, who was one of the guys that started bidding on the Crystal Cathedral through Hobby Lobby. And when he saw that another we were coming in. good group, yeah. Another good group. And he's totally aligned with the Catholic Church on those issues yeah. that I mentioned, those social issues. And Doug DeVos from Amway, same yeah. way, you know. Uh, Grand Rapids, there you yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> totally aligned. And we've become good friends yeah. because of why? Because they're starting to doubt 
their own leadership and look to the Catholic Church and the people who are Catholics and ask, what is going on? When you go into the Supreme Court, you know, Catholics and Jews were hated. And the founding of this country had one Catholic sign the Declaration of Independence, but Catholics and Jews were hated. And today, the Supreme Court, at one time, it only had Catholics and Jews. You now have ostensibly one Protestant, but he was actually baptized Catholic. Of course. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But uh, it, it, is comical. <laughs> it is comical that today on our, on our uh, Supreme Court, we have nine justices, and uh, they're all Judeo-Christian. And uh, it's just amazing to me. I mean, uh, after the, the beginning of this. So I, I do think this is a picture of how people need real estate to to meet. And uh, I would take exception with Bobby. I don't think he needs a cathedral. I just think he he needs a studio because what you can do today uh, to broadcast, that's been their ministry all along. That's not the ministry of Christ Cathedral. The ministry of Christ Cathedral, yes, we have a television studio. Yes, you have a radio studio and you should, but it's not, it's a complimentary. It's a it's program. the tail of the dog. It's, yeah. not, it's not. I mean, Bobby's program is all yeah. going into television and televangelism. And why waste money, to your earlier point? Why spend money on facilities when 95% of your money is coming from broadcasting? Yeah. But this is different. This is a place for people to gather, yeah. and there's so much more opportunity. Prayer breakfasts, we do one in L.A. It's uh, next week. It won't have 2,500 people next week because of COVID. But there will be uh, 1,500 people there. That's been going on, I think, it's 17 years we yeah. started that up there in the plaza and uh, and with Father Spitzer was our original speaker. These are the kinds of things that should be happening here at this cathedral. And, and I'm sure that they will, especially with leadership like you. You know, you ought to form a foundation, maybe up in the Napa area. That'd be kind of cool to be able to do. <laughs> a whole bunch of people getting involved. Anyway, thank you. Very, very much for being here with us. And before we go, I'd like to ask you, please, to lead us all in a word of prayer. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we uh, give thanks for this opportunity to profess your ministry, your truth. We ask for our continued dialogue, especially with our Christian brethren, who we all, you all, want us to be one but one in the truth. And we ask you to give us the power, the ability, the knowledge to profess your ministry, your beliefs in in truth, but to do so with civil discourse and with love and humility. We ask all of this in you, your son's name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and with me today has been Tim Bush, who has been so instrumental in helping to empower the transition of Crystal Cathedral to become Christ Cathedral, and all that the hope that that represents, along with Robert Artigo, who is the author of Neither Crystal Nor Gold, which is now out there. And I want to thank them all for, for being here and being so open about how this process has gone. If you would like to share this with other people, you can go to OCCatholic.com. And at OCCatholic.com, go to the radio tab, and you'll find there uh, a number of different programs that we produce here, but of course also our flagship show, Orange County Catholic Radio. And you can share the link to this broadcast as then a podcast. And again, we are talking to Tim Bush. Thank you again, Mr. Bush, for coming in. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Artigo, for coming in, and I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week.